Gruber could turn and get to the book of Micah first. <laughs> Miss Mickey, you already had your Bible open. You can't do that. <laughs> I, what's that? It doesn't count. It doesn't count. And, you know, if you have a Bible with tabs, you can't count that either, all right? You, got, you just got to do it the old-fashioned way. But uh, tonight, we're, uh, the Lord kind of led me uh, this Christmas season. I uh, wanted to talk to you about, as, as the song goes, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I, this is such a special place. I remember uh, some in here that went with us when we went to the Holy Land a couple, about a year and a half or so ago. We got to go into the city of Bethlehem and uh, we got to sit and sing and overlook the hillsides that many believe is where David uh, was a shepherd boy. And, uh, you know, if you, the Christmas time of the year, it, you go into the gospel according to Luke and you find uh, this beautiful Christmas story. And, uh, and so tonight I, I wanted us to kind of, in a sense, we're not physically going to go there. By the way, that is actually the city of Bethlehem right there that you're looking at on the slide. Um, but uh, we're, I want to go to the city of Bethlehem tonight and consider some of the, the preparation that God made in order to bring to pass his eternal plan of redemption. God had a plan all along, and we're going to look at that tonight. I, I think it's important for us to understand that, that God had a plan of redemption, and uh, as we'll see tonight, it's, it's a neat study, or at least I, I thought it was an excellent study, about some of the preparations that God made. When you think about uh, Israel and you think about how it's strategically located, people describe uh, the, the Holy Land as a, a piece of land. It's a land bridge in the Middle East that, that connects Africa, Asia, and Europe. And you can kind of see there uh, how it's, it's got the section pulled out, but you can see how it's positioned right there. And in all directions, you have uh, really kind of an amazing location. God chose that particular location. And, and the reason that it's called the Holy Land is because of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the Holy Land. And it's in this land, this Holy Land, that as you study the Word of God and you begin to look at things, what you find is there are certain cities and certain villages that hold greater significance than others. Now, it's all important because it's in the Word of God, but the reason some cities and villages hold a greater importance is because of how they are directly connected to Jesus Christ. Uh, places that he went to, places that he frequented, and we're going to talk about one of those tonight because one of the most famous towns is the town of Bethlehem. And we're going to talk about that town tonight. Now, if you have your Bible or there in your notes, notice what it says here in Micah the little book of Micah, chapter 5, and verse number 2. The Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Tremendous, uh, uh, there's a lot of things right here. We'll look at some. I, I won't dive into it right now, but it was in Bethlehem, this city that we're looking at here, that we're talking to, about tonight, that we're visiting in our mind and in our heart. It was in Bethlehem that God chose for his son to be born. God could have chosen anywhere, but God chose this place. And that's what makes it so very special. 
Uh, if you traveled to Bethlehem today, uh, you would find a church that's called the Church of the Nativity. Uh, I believe I've got a picture of that. This is, this is what it is. Now, it's actually been kind of turned into a mosque. One of the things that I discovered as we went to the Holy Land was many of the sacred places have actually uh, had a structure that's been built on them or around them, even on the Temple Mount. You see the, the, uh, the, the, dome, on the, the dome of the rock on the, on the Temple Mount. And what's interesting about this is that this is the place that they believe that uh, Jesus was actually born. I think I've got a picture of, of the inside of it where they actually show the star in the floor. And of course, you can see uh, things that are probably a little bit more ornate or traditional, probably not things that we might practice or whatever, but the, the, the spot on the floor they claim is the actual area where Jesus was born and it's a very sacred spot, and of course, if it is where Jesus was born, then it definitely is a sacred spot. But what's interesting about this is that in 325 AD, the Empress Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, she actually ordered that this structure would be built over the traditional site of the birth of Jesus. Now, sometimes, even myself, I get a little bit kind of you know, like I remember when we went to where supposedly Elijah prayed down fire from heaven. And there again was a, uh, a shop and they were selling merchandise and kind of aggravated me because I was looking for the big burn spot on the ground where the fire came down, you know. And, and, and you know, it's sad because even like the word of God, how man has merchandised uh, even the land, uh, the holy land, the land of his nativity, the land of his birth. And uh, now somebody did say, well, we, we could be thankful for the fact that had they not built this church of the nativity, then there probably wouldn't be nothing there. And so they said in, in many ways, it's actually probably kept it nice. Um, but it is a place that many people do frequent when they go there. Now, uh, when I think about it, is as nice as the building may be, the building is not what is significant. You see, when you think about the Christmas story, it's not about a building, it's about the virgin-born Son of God that came from heaven to be born and to live and to give His life for all of us, that we might have eternal life. The first time you, when you study the Word of God and you think about this city of Bethlehem, the first time we hear of Bethlehem in the Bible, it's not actually called Bethlehem. Uh, look what it says here in your notes, and We'll get to it in just a second, but in Genesis 35, uh, all the way back over in the Old Testament, what you find, I'll give you a little uh, background here. Jacob, in the Old Testament, one of the patriarchs, is traveling with his wife. Anybody remember what Jacob's wife's name was? Rachel. So he's traveling with Rachel. Rachel's with child. Okay, now put on your thinking cap. This is a little bit more of a, of a lesson. It's a little bit more informative tonight, but I, I think it's a great study. But he's traveling with his wife, Rachel. She's expecting a baby. And they traveled, according to the word of God, they traveled to a, to a town that was about one mile outside of Bethlehem. One mile outside of Bethlehem. Now pick it up there, in the, the verse I gave you, Genesis 35, look at verse 16. The Bible says, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come 
to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt, uh, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was de in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father, Jacob, called him what? Benjamin. Now notice this, and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is what? Bethlehem. So on the way, just real close, about a mile outside of Bethlehem, Rachel delivers this son, and the Bible says Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, when we were traveling, if you notice on the side of this slide, I don't know if you remember seeing it, Brother Robert, I saw that on the road when we were driving, a sign that actually, of course, you have the Hebrew rendering that said Rachel's tomb. And on the other side of the slide is actually, now again, it's been built up, it's actually a mosque today, but it's a place that many people frequent where this is where they believe that Rachel was buried and interesting, when Rachel was, they traveled one mile outside of town, outside of Bethlehem, she uh, is having this child, she's in hard labor, she called, the Bible says here, she called her son Benoni, now Benoni means son of my sorrow, that's what it means, don't forget that, it's very important, son of my sorrow, now Jacob called him what? Benjamin. Now, Benjamin doesn't mean son of my sorrow. Benjamin means the son of my right hand. Interesting. Benjamin, when you study, and there's many, he's not the only one. Joseph also, there's other people. Benjamin really is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to study the scriptures, you find that in another portion, when Mary and the birth of Jesus, and you remember, I'm kind of bouncing around here to give you a little bit more behind this. Mary comes with Joseph, and they came to the temple after the birth of Jesus. All right, you with me? They come to the temple, they have the baby Jesus, and she was told as they came by the prophet that this child would be the means by which a sword would pierce her soul. That's what the Bible says. She was told that, that that child that she had delivered would be the means by which a sword would pierce her soul. And, and think about it, he was, we know, the son of God. Now go back to the story with Jacob and Rachel, okay? Rachel, according to the passage in Genesis 35, Rachel died bringing Benjamin into the world. On her deathbed, she called her son the son of sorrows. But the place that she gave birth to that son, that son of sorrows, was where the son of sorrows or the man of sorrows would eventually come. And Jesus Christ is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah talked about him. So it's kind of interesting how that here's Rachel having this son, Benjamin being a type of Jesus Christ, and then years later, Mary gives birth to Jesus at the same place 
and he is known in the Old Testament 700 years before he was born by the prophet as the man of sorrows. Kind of an interesting thought there. Now, if you move on, think about this. The fullness of what uh, she was told about how that it would pierce her soul, the fullness of Rachel's sorrow was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. Look in your notes, Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Now, as you think about that, that's, that's Rachel's sorrow. It was prophesied by the prophet, but that same prophecy was actually manifested many years later. If you remember when they had the, the slaughter, Herod's slaughter of all the male children that lived in what city? Bethlehem. So look what it says here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years of age and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah was, there was a voice heard, lamentations and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So it's interesting that this is the way that God chooses to introduce Bethlehem, the city, to us. Uh, is that uh, Jacob and Rachel travel just one mile outside the city. She dies in childbirth. She calls the, her child the son of sorrows. Jesus, years later, is born in the very same area, in the city of Bethlehem. He is known as in the Old Testament as the man of sorrows. And so when we look at how God introduces Bethlehem to us, Bethlehem shows us many beautiful types of the Lord. As you travel on in the Bible, let's, let's think about this. The Bible records that there are two women that are returning from the land of Moab. 400 years after the death of Rachel. So Rachel died in childbirth. And so 400 years later, according to the scriptures, after her death, Naomi and Ruth crossed the Jordan River and they returned to Bethlehem. These two women returned from the land of Moab, Ruth 1.19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. Now they came back. This was where Naomi and Elimelech had lived. And when Ruth came back, you know the story, wonderful little book in the Old Testament, four chapters, that when Ruth comes to Bethlehem, she met a man by the name of what? Boaz. So she meets Boaz, and from that union with Boaz, they lived there. They had a son whose name was Obed. And so we find that through that, Jesse, and then Jesse had a son who was David. It's kind of interesting. All that took place in Bethlehem, how God begins to unfold, how God had prepared all of this before his son came into this world. When we continue in the word of God, God tells us more about Bethlehem. 
with the prophet Samuel. He traveled to Bethlehem, and the reason he went, remember, God had given Israel what they asked for. What did they ask for? They wanted a king. And their king that God allowed them to have was, what was his name? Saul. And we remember what Saul did. So as a result of that, remember how God told Samuel, I want you to go. And he, he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And he says, I want you to, to uh, there's, there's a young man there. I want you to anoint him to be the next king. And of course, it, it was so long ago. This is the best picture I could come up with, but it's just a visual. But just to try to help you out. Now, Samuel travels to Bethlehem. Why did he go? He went there to anoint the king that God would tell him. Look in your notes there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I, will come, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto, unto me him who I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and he came to where? To Bethlehem. So here he is. It was in Bethlehem that, remember how the story goes? <clears throat> the oldest son comes, and, and Samuel thinks, boy, this has got to be him. And God says, nope, that's not him. He went through seven of his boys, and he says, is there any other sons? Well, there's just this one, you know, he's, but there's no way. We know how God says, said to Samuel, and Samuel said, look, go get him, bring him here. And it was in Bethlehem that God had Samuel anoint David to be the next king. Now, he didn't become the king right then and there. It would be uh, some time before he actually would take over the throne. But again, all of that happened in Bethlehem. David, uh, David had grown up in the city of Bethlehem. It was part of his, as he got older, his inheritance because of his family, because they had grown up there. David, if you remember, as David did become king, that just like anyone else, there were those that opposed him. One of his own sons tried to oust him, Absalom. Uh, because of Absalom seeking to take David's life, what does David do? According to the Bible, David left the city of Jerusalem, uh, and David fled for his life. And as a result of that, we find that later on, when Absalom was killed after his death, David returned to Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about this is that in that process, and, and, and I found this true in my own life, that Sometimes when you go through something, God will give you, whether it's someone or many people, that will be a blessing to you, will be kind to you, will, will, will show you some love and affection when, when nobody else will. And there was a man that did that for David during this time in his life, and his name was Barzillai. Barzillai showed kindness to David. And, and David, when David finally got an opportunity to go back to where he rightfully should have been, he asked Barzillai if he would return with him. And oddly, Barzillai said, no, he says, that's, I'd rather stay where I'm at. 
Uh, I feel like with my age and everything else, I'd just soon stay where I'm at. But he says, I, I do have a son. And I, if you would, would you take my son with you? And his son's name was Kimmim. And so he takes this, this boy with him, the son of Barzillai, and, it, and he lives there with David. He got to enjoy the things of the palace, the finer things of the king. And, and David wanted to show Barzillai his, his appreciation for how he treated him. Now, what's neat about this is David in his life, as he's getting to the end of his days, David never forgot how Barzillai had been kind to him. So before David leaves this world, David says to his son Solomon, he says, I want you to show kindness to the sons of Barzillai. Now, it's going to get good here. I hope you're following this because God just continues to add to this story because as David instructs Solomon to show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, his son, Kimmim, actually received property in the place that was the most dear to David. What city do you think that was? Bethlehem. David gave property to the son of Barzillai, Kimham. And so it is, they believe that as you study this out, and there is, of course, some in the Word of God, and they believe that there is enough factual historical that Kimmim did something very special with that property in Bethlehem. He actually, and I don't know exactly what he called it, but it was, so to speak, a rest stop. A place where, if you're traveling, that you could come in and you could just kind of relax, you could kind of spend the night. In other words, it was kind of, a, of an inn. It was a place where people could be refreshed because Kimmim had thought about how David had treated him so kindly. And, and so he begins this place where people could come. And, and, and a, couple, a couple things that I read, they believe that at that particular time, it was probably the only such place like this in all of Bethlehem that Kimmim had. He made it a wonderful place. Now, these things all took place. Everything I'm describing here about David and Verzillai and, and all of this, it all took place a thousand years before the birth of Christ. A thousand years before. A little over 400 years later, okay, after David, with giving this property, and of course David passes off the scene, 400 years later is when the prophet Jeremiah, in the Word of God, saw the city of Jerusalem in ruins. The city was, was laying desolate. Jeremiah saw the city of God, the beautiful city, the city of Jerusalem, and it was, it was just in, in rubble and ruins. And as Jeremiah saw that, he was looking for a place that he could go, that he could get some rest. And so he traveled from Jerusalem six miles south to the town of Bethlehem. He goes to Bethlehem, and as he travels there, 400 years after David gave the property to the son of Barzillai, Kimham, after all those years, it is still referred to at that time 
as the property of Barzillai. Look at the verse in your notes, Jeremiah 41, 17. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimmim, which is by Bethlehem to go to enter into Egypt. So guess what happens? The prophet Jeremiah, he actually stayed in the rest home, the inn, when Jerusalem was in ruins. He found it to be a place that he could go. Now, think about this. That was 400 years after David gave the property, okay? 580 years later. Go back one slide. Two weary travelers, a man and a woman, and the woman was great with child, made their journey. They had traveled over 80 miles from Nazareth in Galilee. They made their way to the city of Bethlehem. When they came, they sought for a place, a room in the inn. They had heard about this place where people could come. And, of course, she needing a place because she was about to deliver the child. And it was, it was a, a, a crowded place at the time, but it was the only place that they could go. And there was no room when they arrived. There was just an adjoining stable. And it was at that stable that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born in Bethlehem. The shepherds were out in the fields. We, we were there in the Holy Land. We were there in Bethlehem. We were sitting and as we were sitting there, we could look out over the fields where they, they believed that many shepherds, maybe even David, and, and somebody said, hey, look, over there, there were some sheep that were out there grazing, just like back in the days of David. I don't know if you remember, Robert, we went, when we were walking up there, there was somebody that actually had a little lamb. Remember that? Some people <clears throat> put that lamb on their shoulders, and they began to take pictures uh, of, of that little lamb, people, people holding that on their shoulders like shepherds would do. And the shepherds were, as the Bible says, they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord shone round about them, and the, the, the angel appears unto them. And, and the Bible records that, that these shepherds leave their duties, and they rush to this manger at the inn. And while they got there, they found the baby Jesus. I don't know if you're wrapping your mind around all this. I, I know I'm going through it rather quickly, but I'm going to tell you something. When you think about all the preparation that God made in just one place, and I want to give you three thoughts. They won't, won't be long, but I'm going to share these with you tonight. The first one is this. Thinking about everything that we said, think about this. All the world is in his hands. All the world. And that includes this little town of Bethlehem. 2,000 years before the birth of Christ, God recorded the place. Thou, uh, Ephrata, Bethlehem is the, the littlest among the tribes of Judah, but God, he says, out of thee shall be born unto me a ruler. And God introduced us to this city of Bethlehem, this precious piece of property. Remember, it was the piece of property that was given by David before his death to the son of Barzillai. It was this piece of property. Kimham uh, co converted that piece of property into an inn and uh, probably the, pay, the place where Jesus was born. The, the whole world, as you think about it, is in the hands of God. And we think about this world that we live in today and 
all the things you hear about on the news and all that's going on. Folks, can I just say it this way, that if you think things are out of control, then the reality is, is that you have probably taken your eyes off of God and you've put them on something else. Because it's all, all the world is in his hands. The second thought is this, is all history is his story. Every last bit of it. I got, I got the privilege to share some things with that couple on, on Monday. I love to share the story of Jesus with other people. It, it's his story. God has a great purpose. And I, I think about so many, uh, so many rulers and so many nations and so many people. People come and people go, but God never leaves. God never changes. God's purpose has always been the same. And while we're here on this earth, just as Jesus did when he was here, we have a work to do. God's given us a great work to do, and we've got to do our part. Paul likened it to a race. It's almost as if right now, wherever you are in your life, that the baton has been placed into your hand. And what God wants all of us to do is, look, we're not running the race against each other. God just wants us to be faithful to run our race. Because, look, I don't know how much longer, either before the Lord comes back or before the Lord says, okay, Dane, it's time for you to put that baton in someone else's hand. God's given us an opportunity to be a part of his work, and we've got to do our part in life because eventually one day we're going to pass on our faith to other people. All of history is God's story. He, God takes all the pieces and he puts it all together. We had uh, my, my daughter and son-in-law, they're leaving uh, early in the morning to drive back up to the state of Ohio. It's been, been great having them. And last night we kind of had a little Christmas gathering for, for their kids and stuff because we won't be able to be with them on Christmas. And, uh, and we had asked my daughter, you know, what can we get for the, for the girls and course the boys they don't care you just give them a box and they're they're having a good time but my daughter she had picked these two things and 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 both of them were something you could make out of legos y'all know what legos are right and uh, and i remember after they opened them up they both went over to the table and they dumped all these pieces out of this box they were just everywhere and here they are four four years of age and three years of age and they just started picking those things up and putting them together, and it actually looked like something. And I thought to myself how in our lives, it's like we've got all these pieces. You think about all that happened before, during, and after in the city of Bethlehem. God took all those little pieces, David, Barzillai, Jeremiah, Samuel, God took all those pieces and he began to put them together. And when I think about this story and how it relates to this time of year, the same thing is, is, is about our lives, that God is, God is not a God of accidents and God is not a God of second thoughts and, and, and a God of emergencies. All of history is his story. You know, I started studying this and to be honest with you, I thought, man, this is, this is deeper than, I, I don't even know if I can get through this on a Wednesday night. Just thinking about the city of Bethlehem, all the things that come along with the history of it. So look at all the world is in his hands. And notice all history is his story. But number three, 
All people are the object of his love. All people. God loves everyone. In, in Luke 2.10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? All people. God loves everyone. I, I had the joy of talking to them on Monday, and, and, and I told them, I said, God loves you. He loves you so much. I said to them, because he, he told me, he says, you know, Pastor, he said, I don't have a lot of background. I don't know a lot of Bible. And he began to tell me stuff that, that was in the Bible. He just didn't know where the references, where it was found. And, but he kept telling me things. He knew the story of, of Jesus on the cross and the two thieves. He knew all of that stuff. And, and I said, I said there, probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. I go, do you know that verse? And they both looked at me and they, they said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I do. I said, do you like sports, Ron? And he goes, yeah, I, I like sports. I said, I said probably at m- more sporting events, you'll see somebody holding a sign that just has the reference, John 3.16. And I said, the verse goes like this. And I, I, I said, for God so loved, and that's all I got out of my mouth. And both of them started to say it with me. She actually said the King James Version of that, which kind of surprised me with their background. And as we were, we were reading that, I began to talk to them about how the Bible says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I said to him, I go, Ron, how long is everlasting? And he says, well, it's forever. And I said, I said, well, you know, when you think about this, I said, you, you kind of seem to me, would you say to me that you're kind of your own man? Because he told me when he came to my office, he said this to me. And he wasn't grumpy. He just goes, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. Don't laugh. Some of you are the same way. And, and, so, and so we talked about a lot of things. And he began to tell me about this and that in his past. And he began to tell me about things the Catholic Church had done to wrong him and, and all that. And, and so I said to him, I said, now, what, earlier you said that, that you were kind of your own man. You didn't like people telling you what to do. And he said, yeah. And I said, so, so if you don't like people telling you what to do and you're your own man, why are you letting your past and the Catholic Church control where you're going to spend your eternity. And he just looked at me because he didn't know what to say. I said, the Bible says God loves you, that Christ died for you, and that if you put your faith in him, not in the church, not about the sacraments, it's not about all those things that we can do, but whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what kind of life, Ron? And he said, everlasting. I said, who gives that life to you? He goes, God does. And he looked at me and he said, you've given me a lot to think about. I said, no, God has. Because here it is, all people are the object of his love. There's no one. God loves everyone. We have to believe that because it's true. The word of God tells us. And when I think about the story of Jesus, the birth of God's son, the, the sending Christmas time, it's about a savior. But it all started in this little town of Bethlehem. And it started 
long before Jesus showed up. God put all the pieces together. O thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Listen to this. Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This wasn't plan B for God. God had this planned all along. God had a plan for our salvation. In the Bible, I, I love it when the news gets out and Herod, who's the ruler at the time, you know, he thought that he was the king. And so the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And here's what these wise men were saying. They said, where is he that is born? king of the Jews. They're, they're asking, hey, we want to pay homage. We want to worship this, this child that was born the king of the Jews, for we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And so here's what Herod does. Herod gets the, his, his base group together, the Sanhedrin, 70 wise Jews. He gets them all together, and he says, where is this baby going to be born. And these 70 wise Jews said to Herod, well, the Bible says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, they didn't say those exact words, but I'll tell you what they did know. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. They knew that verse. They knew that the Bible says he was going to be born in Bethlehem. It's amazing when you look at it because it is, it, it is not this piece of property that God was concerned about. It was what was going to take place on that piece of property. When, when I was talking to them on Monday, I said to them, I said, do you know that our church is not this building? I said, the church is the people. I said, the very word is the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. And, and I told them, I said, I hope it doesn't happen, but I said, if our building burnt down tomorrow, we'd still have church because the church is the people of God. And I said, when you think about what the Bible says, because he tried to help me to understand that the Bible says that the church was built on Peter. And I said, uh, I don't really see that, Ron. And I showed him in the Bible how that Jesus said upon this rock, making reference to himself, Jesus said, I'll build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build Peter's church. And I said, but there's a verse in, in Acts 20, 28, where the Bible says Jesus died for the church. He purchased the church with his own blood. I said, Jesus would not have died. He wouldn't have given his precious life for a building. He gave his life for people because he loves everyone. And when I think about this story at Christmas time, Christ came to Bethlehem not to stay. He came from Bethlehem, he came from heaven to Bethlehem to go to the cross so that he could give his life so that we could have eternal life. So when you think about this, this town of Bethlehem, put that up there, that next slide there. Here's the Hebrew right here. Two words. Beth actually means house. Lahem actually means 
bread. It's kind of interesting when you put it together, Bethlehem is the house of bread. It's kind of a neat thought because Jesus said in John 6.51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus came. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Hey, take your, take your hymn book tonight. And I thought about this earlier. Just, just humor me, all right? I need some help tonight. Turn in your hymn book there. Grab one of them and turn to number 82. Number 82. Do you know the song? Let's, uh, we have no piano player in here. All right? Let's, let's see if we can get through this, all right? If God's listening to us. We're just going to sing this a cappella, all right? Here we go. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. On the second. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep watch of wandering love. O morning stars together Proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. On the third, how silently, silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, 
abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Feel like you know a little bit more about Bethlehem tonight? A lot happened in that little town. I'll tell you what, it's exciting, and I guarantee you, the, the little study I did, there's probably a whole lot more if you just look in the pages of the Word of God. What's that? Graduate school tonight, amen. Lord bless you. Take this with you this morning.